sorry, I didn't have, didn't have my mic on there. So, so you guys have probably all heard of the book, uh, All I Really Need to Know About How to Live and What to Do and How to Be, I Learned in, what, what's the kindergarten, all right, Robert Fulgham. Let me just read some of the things he said. All the things I needed to know about life, learning in kindergarten. And you've probably seen this. For some reason, my memory of it is, I think, Kathy's parents' older home, they had this plaque in the bathroom. So maybe that's where I first saw it. But uh, these are all the things I learned in kindergarten, according to Robert Fulgham. Uh, share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Next one's my favorite one, flush. Um, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Uh, have wonder in your life. Goldfish and hamsters, white mice, and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die, and so do we. And the last one he says... And remember that the Dick and Jane books and the first word you learned, the biggest word of all is look. So keep looking. So I just, I mean, you know, this book, you know, all the things I'd learned, need to know about life and what to do and how to live, I learned in kindergarten. I'm going to take a little flip on that. Same thing, though. All, the, all I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in. And I'm, I'm not kindergarten, I'm going to say seminary. And uh, some of you might know, you maybe don't know, I went to seminary three-year post-college degree and uh i have my i'm not doing this to be impressive i'm making a point though i have trinity evangelical divinity school so i have a real i don't put it on my wall or anything but i have a real i have a master of divinity i'm still not sure what divinity means other than i guess i'm supposed to understand the things of god but when i was in seminary um i had a lot of classes um a lot of classes with uh big titles and big words like uh, hermeneutics, ecclesiology, eschatology. I'm reading from a copy of my transcript. And a couple of them I got C's in, so I, you, you don't need to know which ones I got C's in because those are the ones I probably don't preach about, right? All right. Uh, Pentateuch, uh, eschatology, hermeneutics, poetry, post-exilic literature, all these things, and all these classes I had to take. Three years' worth of classes. I was... I was uh, had the opportunity that somebody helped me pay for seminary. So for three years, I was in seminary. Before I was married, to up in Deerfield, Illinois, and um, a lot of classes, uh, a lot of good grades, a lot of grades that were C's. But I enjoyed it, and it was preparation for ministry. But uh, and I, some of you may have heard some of these stories before, but there were two things that I learned in seminary more than anything else, and two things that have stuck with me more than anything else about um, how to how to live life with God. And so, um, if I were to rephrase this, I would say the things I really need to know, I learned about Jesus during seminary, all right? And, uh, and I, I've thought about this a lot, and I guess you've heard some of these stories, but I just this week I just thought I wanted to re rehash these, not just for my sake, but I think all of us have like what I would call stones of remembrance, times where you feel like God was really significant in your life. And for me, and maybe for you too, they frame almost everything. They frame how you understand God now. So uh, two lessons, two things I'm going to say. First one is this. Uh, Jesus never finished with me. And he's never, fin he's never finished with you. So this is not book knowledge. I, I, if I were to talk to people back in my seminary, I would tell them, I 
I remember some book knowledge, but there were two things big knowledge-wise that I really get. And this is one of them. Jesus has never finished with me. And you may know this story, but I want to tell it anyway. And I might, so uh, my second year of seminary, um, I had a significant issue with pornography. And you might be thinking, well, that's awful. You're preparing for ministry, and you had issues with pornography. And I'd say, yeah, it was awful. It was... Uh, Long story short, I, I rented a room in a home, and part of my job in living there for free was cleaning the house. The teenage son who was off to college had a stack of pornography in his room, and I had to clean around it, all right? So, um, but I remember uh, feeling incredible, and you can understand this, incredible uh, tension about, here, well, I'm preparing for seminary, and I can't stop this. And I'm preparing for, I want to be a pastor, but I can't stop this. I want to be a... And it was just this uh, awful, awful, dark season of life for me. Because here I was going to seminary and kind of pretending, I guess, I wanted to be a pastor. But all the while, know that the gospel hadn't really gripped me in the way I wanted it to grip me. And so there was one particular uh, weekend where I felt like uh, as low as you could probably feel as a human being. I just felt like I was, a, in, I really felt like Satan must be laughing at me. And I felt like Satan uh, was kind of mocking me. Felt really low. And it was, uh, it was Friday night, February 10th, 1989. And then the next morning, I'm waking up and I feel really low. I feel really discouraged and down. And like maybe I should quit seminary. I don't know. And I go to my mailbox at the seminary where I was at in Trinity, which is up near Chicago, north of Chicago. And there was a note in my mailbox. And this is the note. I actually saved it. Um, I saved it, looked at it many times. And again, keep in mind, I was about the lowest point of my life spiritually, thinking I might quit seminary and I don't know what I'd be doing now. So this note, I pulled out, my, my, my post office box was D859, I still remember that. And I opened up this note and it's anonymous, the person didn't sign their name, they just signed it as a fellow saint. And again, keep in mind, I was at a real low point. Like I thought, God must be done with me. God must be, he must be disgusted with me. So this was apparently, I was, I was in the seminary, but I was teaching a class at Trinity College, which was across the street, an education class, so I had an education background. This was apparently written by one of the students in that class, so they sign it, they talk about me teaching in the class. So they write things about how they enjoyed my teaching in the class, blah, blah, blah. But then they write this, and this is where I, I, I can remember where I was standing in the room and I was reading this on a Saturday morning in the middle of the winter in northern Chicago. person writes in, they thank me for my teaching, and then they say, however, I know that desiring to serve Christ takes much energy and that Satan must not want you to be so zealous. So it was pretty mature of a college student at the time to say that. Please be encouraged by the fact that Christ is working in your life, and it's noticeable. And at that point, I want to tell a person, yeah, if you only knew. Yeah, you think Christ is working in my life, and it's noticeable. Let me tell you how low I feel right now. Then this person wrote this, I don't really know why I was to write this note. Perhaps it was to encourage you to remain steadfast and to be obedient. However, here's a scripture that you, for you so you may know that your labor is not in vain. So this person had to drop it in the mailbox before I had this dark, dark night. And they, you know, it's this season of life for me. And this is what they wrote. And I think I put it on the screen next here. Be confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Day of Jesus Christ. So it's Paul wrote to Philippians, and that's what he wrote in this note to me. And apart, I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know who wrote this, but I want to find out in heaven because I want. Apart from this note, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here pastoring. I'd probably be. I don't know. Nothing, nothing would be wrong with it. I'd probably still be a high school math teacher or something like that. But this note reminded me that Jesus is not finished with me yet. He's not done. He will never be done with any of us. No matter what you think you've done, uh, there's nothing that you've done that will make Jesus stop loving you. Nothing. We used to tell that to our kids at night when they were younger. What, what can you do to make Jesus stop loving you? And the answer, I always hear, I can hear Gretchen's two-year-old voice saying, nothing. There's nothing. And, and this was a significant lesson for me that Jesus is never done with us. In Philippians 1, Paul says this. He says, he's never done. He's always going to complete what he started in you. So whether you think you've hit a stuck point, maybe it wasn't as dark as my issue, but maybe there's other some stuck point in your life. And you think, ah, I'm just, I guess I've just kind of reached where I'm going to be, and that's where I'm going to be the rest of my life spiritually. Maybe there is some kind of besetting sin. Maybe there's not. But I just want to remind you, Jesus is not done with you. He will finish what he started in you no matter what you think or no matter how you feel. Um, but this note I had on February 11th, 1989, uh, and this message that communicated here, God's communicated to me many ways throughout the years. So it wasn't like I heard God then, I haven't heard him since, but this was, a, this was kind of a foundational thing. Um, I have a whole book full, I have a whole library full of books at my house, seminary books. Probably if I were to weigh them all, it'd be like pounds and pounds of books. If there was a fire in my house, I'd let the books burn, I'd grab this. That's how meaningful this was to me. Because um, it was a reminder of not just a theology of forgiveness, but a reality of forgiveness. So that was lesson number one. Both these lessons happened in 1989, so I'm not sure why that God did it that way. Second lesson was this. Uh, my sin is a big deal, but God's mercy is a bigger deal. I, I would have used the word enormous, but enormous wasn't going to fit on the slide, right? All right. My sin is a big deal to God, but God's mercy is way bigger, all right? So I had a class in the fall of 1989, it was called uh, Poetry and Post-Exilic History in Old Testament Books. So poetry would be like um, Psalms, Proverbs, and post-exilic would be books like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zechariah, and some other prophets that wrote after the exile, that's what... I mean, these big words, big words kind of thing. My professor was a class, for the class was a guy named uh, Dr. McGarry. Um, his nickname was Mad Dog McGarry, and I'm saying that for a reason, because he seemed kind of unapproachable. And he was kind of, professor, it was so intense when he, when he taught class, he would spit. <laughs> I mean, he was that kind of a guy. So we had an assignment. Uh... OT 711, Poetry and Post-Exilic History. I have the assignment with me. There's another thing I'd save. These two things I would grab out of my library for any book I would grab, all right? And there's a study guide we had to do from uh, the book of Chronicles, Esther, and Ezra, and Nehemiah. And it was, I'm, I, 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 you can't see this, I can't show this, but it was a lot of work, and it was in Hebrew. We had to study the Hebrew language. Hebrew reads, English reads what, left to right. I should know that, right? Hebrew reads right to left, and the symbols are all different. And it was just, I didn't, I didn't, 
Hebrew didn't sit well with me. I didn't. So it was a lot of work, and we had to do all this work in Hebrew, and you he, he probably can't tell, but I had little pencil writings, and half of it's in Hebrew letters, and it was a big homework assignment, big homework assignment. So I got with some of my friends in the class, and we decided we'd do it as a work, work together, which is a great idea, let's work together. But as we started working on all the problems, and they were time-consuming, somebody suggested, I don't know who it was, well, hey, this is going to take a lot of time if we just do it one at a do it together, do it together, the next one. So, you know, why don't you do problem one, you do problem two, you do problem three, I'll do four, and then we'll just share our answers, and then you do five, six, seven, eight, and then we'll share our answers. In other words, I only had to do the work of one of every four problems. And when the person suggested, I remember thinking, what a great idea, but there was also something in me that said, I think that's beyond what the professor wanted us to do in groups. I think that's cheating. Because I didn't do... I only did one out of four problems on this. The rest of them, I just, we passed the papers and copied each other's stuff. And these are, these are guys all want to be pastors, right? But as you and I know, and I, maybe you don't do this, but I could justify it because I was burned out. I was busy. I didn't have time to do this the right way. And surely God understands that. He understands my mental and emotional capabilities. I couldn't handle the time. This would have been like probably 10 hours to do this assignment. So we cut it down to two and a half hours and then just traded answers. I mean, what a great way to save time. God surely would honor that, right? But I knew, I knew, I knew it wasn't what we have, God want, have, how the professor wanted us to do it. So, but I turned it in anyway, and I got 49 out of 50 points, so I got an A on this one. But then uh, there was a Tuesday morning. It would have been Tuesday, December 5th, 1989. So it was the same year. 89 was a good year for me, I guess. And I, uh, I was then, which I am still now, I'm in the habit of getting up in the morning, I read my Bible, and I pray. And when I was, and I remember the place I lived, and I was actually on my knees praying. So I was like, God, you can't get more spiritual than this. I'm up early, and I'm on my knees. What more do you want from me? But I felt like when I was praying, it was just like, the ceilings were made of brass. Like, God's not hearing. I'm not connecting. He's like, okay. I'm and then I started hearing in my head this passage of Scripture on the screen. If I had cherished it in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I cherished it in my heart, the, Lord, the Lord's not going to hear me if I cherished it in my heart. And I knew immediately what that was about. It was about this. I being a very smart and rational person, was convinced it was Satan trying to condemn me. And I was like, I oh, know this is Satan, get, you know, I'm, this is you trying to make me feel guilty and it's kind of like, kind of try to wipe it off the screen. But I kind of kept, this kept coming back to me. It was like, you know, it's kind of like deleting something off your screen and then all of a sudden it shows up again. It's like, where's, how's it showing back up again? If something you deleted from your screen keeps showing up, it's probably God. All right? Satan works in condemnation, but God works in conviction. And there's a huge difference. Condemnation is like self-hatred. Conviction is you got to deal with this. So I, uh, I, you know, I was trying to be spiritual, but God just wouldn't appreciate that. I was trying to read my Bible and pray, but God didn't want that. He wanted me to deal with this. Now the word cherish in this passage, I looked it up this week because I was trying to think. It kind of basically just kind of means if I, if, if there's something that I, in my heart that I know has been an offense to God and I haven't dealt with it, in other words, if I, if I see it there but I don't deal with it, that's like cherishing it. It's kind of like, you know, if I have this, you know, 
big dirty spot on my carpet, and I see it, and I know it's there, but I don't clean it. And in essence, in the biblical sense, I'm cherishing that spot. And you might say, well, I'm not cherishing. No, but you are if you're not cleaning it. You're cherishing it. So the sense was, okay, if I cherish that my heart, and then I thought, and it was God's way of saying, I'm not going to hear a word of what you say in your spiritual prayers if you don't deal with this first. And I was like, God, you don't understand. I had to tell, I had to convince God of a few things. You don't understand, God. I'm exhausted. I'm weary. There's no way I could have got this done in time. And without having been, I would have had a, a worse weekend, da, 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 and I, God, you got to understand this. And I, you know, God's not really understandable about our rationalities, right? And God's like, no, no, this is, you got to deal with this. So that was a Tuesday morning. I had class that morning. It was at 7 o'clock, I remember. Then I had a class at 8 o'clock. And I can't remember what the class was. I think it was like psychology and theology or something like that. I didn't listen at all to what the professor said. Because all I could think about was, i got to talk to Dr. McGarry about this. And this is Mad Dog McGarry. This is the unapproachable, almost kind of too intense kind of guy. But and I, and without going into a lot of detail, if he would have flunked me on this assignment, which he had all the right to do, I would have then likely had to, had to retake the class another term, which meant coming back another term that I wasn't planning on, which meant a few thousand dollars. So in my mind, God would surely understand that I, I want to be a good steward of money. I should save money. Therefore, I'm not going to talk to Dr. McGarry. But I was like, God was like, I don't care. You're going to talk to him anyway. So I, I uh, was just literally sweating in class, literally that morning. And I remember thinking, I sure hope Dr. McGarry's in his office this morning. Because if he's not, I can't deal with this all day. I just can't. And, and I'm, I'm saying this again. Because I think there's an anatomy of our confession that you all, you and I can both, you can relate to what I'm talking about. You, when you know there's something that's sitting on your heart that you've got to deal with with God, and you do your best like I do to rationalize and explain to God why this should be okay, and then God's like, I'm sorry, you still got to deal with it. So I, I, I kind of run to his, I didn't run to his office, but I knew where his office was, kind of hoping he wouldn't be there, but desperately hoping he would be there. So sure enough, he was there. Dr. McGarry was there. I never talked to the man in my whole life. We had him as a big class, so I never. And I just told him, I hit Dr. McGarry, and I explained this homework assignment. I said, let me just tell you what we were doing. We got in a group, and we did it this way. And I said, then we kind of started one, two, three, four, one, two, three, and we just shared answers. And I said, I don't think that was the intention of what you were saying about group work. And I said, and I think we were... And, it was, I, was, I think we were, and I could not say the word cheating. Then I finally said, no, I think we were cheating. Because I, 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 to say that is like, oh, I can't believe that's me. I was cheating? No, God, that's not, I'm, not, I'm in seminar. I want to be a pastor. And I said, I think we were cheating. And then I remember dropping my head down and kind of like thinking to myself, okay, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. And if you want me to redo it. And I thought, well, if he wants me to redo this assignment, I don't have time. I don't have energy. And if he just gives me an F, then I have to come back in a couple thousand dollars. So I was like, I didn't say this, but in my head I'm thinking, okay, mad dog, what's, the, what's up? And he's just like, you know, the fact that one person's life and ministry the fact, the fact that one person's life and ministry could be saved by the reality that he's going to listen to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. That's enough for me. 
you get what you get. You get an A. I'm thinking, hey, I got an A. And I remember, first I was, after I kind of picked myself up off the floor, it's like, I get an A. Did you hear what I said? And he's like, no, I, you cheated. And I could give you zero, but I'm going to give you an A. And I remember uh, I had to go across campus right away after that. And I remember I literally ran because I was late to where I had to go next. But I also ran because I was just like energized more than any other time in my life. And I remember literally, I know my feet did hit the ground, but it's the one time in my life I'm not sure if my feet hit the ground when I was running. I was so ecstatic. And, and the song that came to my head, and it's an old hymn. Some of you might know it. Some of you may not know it. But it's a, it's a song, and it's a hymn that goes, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. And the next line was, lose all their guilty stain. And I remember thinking, that's what that line means, God. I deserve this, but you give me this? What kind of God does that? I mean, I knew, I knew theologically what forgiveness looked like, and I knew what, I'm a sinner, God, you know, Jesus died. For, I knew that all theologically, but I never knew it until that moment. And I remember thinking, in the, uh, there's a passage in the book of Zechariah, where the prophet says, on that day, a fountain is going to be opened up for the house of David to cleanse them from their sin and iniquity. That's what that hymn's about. Is there this fountain that cleans us and, and, and makes us new. And I, I went back. I went back to sem. I went back to visit Dr. McGarry. It must have been twenty plus years after the fact, and he was still teaching there. And I happened to drive by campus, just hoping I could see him. It was the summer. He happened to be in his office. And I stopped and I said, and I had this one. I said, Dr. McGarry, I'm sorry. I don't remember a thing of what you taught me in class. I had him for a couple different classes, both Hebrew classes. I don't remember anything. I said, but I do remember what you taught me in that moment in your office. And you taught me, I'm sure you were a good teacher in class. You taught me more about the character of God in that moment in class than anything I learned in seminary. And there's a, go to the next slide. So there's a Hebrew word, the bottom is the Hebrew word, uh, but it, the word is hesed. And you kind of say it even differently, it's kind of like this Jewish. But it's the term we get loving kindness, mercy, and the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Whenever you see the word steadfast love or loving kindness in the Old Testament, it's usually this Hebrew word hesed. All right, this is my Hebrew dictionary. Even though I could not navigate through it today, I know the word hesed is in here somewhere. And it's probably got a whole, it's probably got multiple pages to define that kind of, because it's so huge. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus was full of love, he was full of truth and mercy. And the word mercy in the New Testament, the Greek word, is the same kind of connection to the Old Testament of this, of this Hebrew word hesed, the loving kindness of God, the tenderness of God. Uh, the faithfulness of God, the steadfast love, even when we don't deserve steadfast love. And so, uh, with apologies to my professors in seminary and all the money I spent on classes, I'm sure I learned things. But these are the two things I learned, that God is never finished with you or me, never. 
Never. No matter what you've done, never. And the second thing is, your sin is a big deal. Don't, don't water down your sin. Because if you water it down, you don't get to experience the big deal of God's mercy in your life. So I don't know where anybody is in their life now, and I know, like when I was in seminary, nobody knew of those two issues in my life, so I'm assuming there's things in some of our lives that nobody knows about, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, God hasn't told me anything about anybody's life. I just know that it, how we understand God's, he's never going to leave you, no matter what you've done, he will always be with you, and uh, his mercy is enormous in your life. Um, but deal with sin in your life. Don't think that sin is a, a small deal, and don't think, like in my, part of my rationalization for this, this homework assignment was, well, God, God, I told you it was wrong. I know it was wrong, so I'm confessing to you, God. And God was like, yeah, but you got to tell Dr. McGarry. It's like, God, I'm telling you. Why don't I have to tell Dr. McGarry? And somebody told me this years ago, if you're, if you're confessing before God, but you're not confessing before people, then your confession before God is, is empty. Because if you're not telling the person that you wronged, then you're not really repentant. You're just trying to get over fast one. I, I, I told you a couple of years ago, and Kathy's not here. She's visiting her parents this weekend. But there was a couple of years ago, I lied to Kathy about something. It was a small thing. It was basically I lied to her to, to, not, to not have a conflict about something. It wasn't a moral thing or anything else. But I remember it, it was probably three or four months until I finally told Kathy what I lied to her about. And it was, it was a small thing. But it was, it was still something that was offensive to God. And if I didn't talk about Kathy, I knew for me it would always be a block in my life. So uh, your sin is a big deal, but God's mercy is much bigger. If you just stick on the first one, sin is a big deal, then it becomes heavy and oppressive kind of Christianity. If you understand the second, that the mercy of God is enormous and overwhelming and huge, then Christianity becomes like, an incredible, supernaturally powerful, joyful kind of religion. And that's what Jesus came to do. So I'll finish with this. I just wanted to, I, I've, uh, like I said, I, I value my seminary education. I'm glad I went there, and I'm glad I spent money and learned things. And I'm sure there's other things I learned that have been helpful. But I learned these two things about God that I will never forget, and I think it shaped everything I've done. So the loving kindness of God. And in this passage we'll finish with, so this is Paul again writing in Ephesians, but he says, for, but God who is so rich in mercy, so the word mercy there, so the, the New Testament is a Greek, but the, it was a similar kind of connotation to the Old Testament word of hesed, of love and kindness. God is so rich in that toward us. And he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So that's, that's the gospel in a nutshell is that we're, we're dead uh, overwhelmed, it's dark, but the Spirit of Christ who was raised from the dead brings life to times in our life when we think it's over, we're dead, he's forgotten about us, um, God must hate me, God must be disgusted with me, any of those thoughts you've ever had. Um, but Paul said, no, 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 God is rich in mercy and he loves us so much. God is rich in mercy and he loves us so much. That even though we're dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So, Aaron, come on up. We're going to sing a few more songs. And uh, we have communion every week at Exodus, and there's a communion uh, packets on your tables. But, uh, you know, we, we, and I say we, but I also mean me, we go through the motions of communion every week. And 
yes, we know Jesus died for our sins, and yes, we know we go to heaven after we die, but it's way, it's way more meaningful than what I think our ritual can be because really every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, as Jesus would say, or as Paul even would say later on in Corinthians, we proclaim his death and we proclaim his resurrection. And we proclaim that God is rich in mercy and he loves us so much and that nothing you have done, even this week, is going to keep you from that. So uh, Jesus says, remember that. So maybe, maybe as you're taking today, cup and the, maybe what's on your mind is maybe there's something you have to deal with but maybe there's what's on your mind is ways in which you've had your own stories of of god's mercy in your life and you just need to remember that maybe it happened five years ago 20 years ago where god re- did something in your life or turned your life around or got your attention it's good to remember those things that's why the bible the word remember is all over the place remember 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 what God's done because you might need that memory to face what's next in your life. So let me pray and then we'll take. So Jesus, we're grateful that you, uh, you gave your body uh, to death and torture. And, but then we're grateful, God, that you raised him from the dead. And that your mercy for us is uh, bottomless. There's no end to it. Your love for us is beyond any comprehension of, of that we could ever have of you. And there's nothing we will ever do that will make you stop loving us. And so we're grateful, Jesus, that your power of the resurrection is not only a theological truth, but it's an experiential reality that we can live in newness of life and in peace with you, God, um, simply because of what Jesus has done for us. And we're grateful, Jesus, you did that for us to give us Uh, a newness of life, a new way of living with God, and uh, a way that's full of joy and peace beyond compare. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. So go ahead and take, and then Aaron will lead us in, uh, take the wafer and the cup, and then Aaron will lead us in a couple songs.